I'm Tamara Rodney, and you're listening to On The Pulse, a podcast from the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into the experiences of frontline providers and researchers. We explore their insights and invaluable stories of how healthcare works in today's world. In celebration of American Heart Month, a time when everyone should be thinking about their cardiovascular health, we are bringing two cardiovascular experts to discuss their new research and what we can all do to better protect our heart health. So I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Cheryl Dennis Himmelfarb, Vice Dean for Research in the Office of Science and Innovation, and the Sarah E. Allison Professor for Research and Self-Care at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. Also, we'd like to welcome Dr. Ivan Commodore Mensa, an Assistant Professor also at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you, Tamar. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So maybe we can start off by both of you introducing yourself a little bit further and sharing how long you've been studying cardiovascular health and what are your main areas of focus? Well, I'd be happy to start. I'm Cheryl Himmelfarb and my background is as an ICU nurse and I was a nurse in a number of cardiac intensive care settings, including the cardiac care unit and the cardiac surgery ICU. And, and after that, I worked as a nurse practitioner in preventive cardiology. I then became involved in research and, and for the last 25 years or so have been involved in research that has spanned the acute care, primary care and community-based settings. And most of that research has focused on team-based strategies to improve the quality of care and reduce disparities in cardiovascular care and hypertension. So this is Yvonne Commodore Mensa. My research background, I would say, spans almost a decade now. My clinical background is in cardiovascular nursing, but I'm also trained as a cardiovascular disease epidemiologist. And so my main research focus is understanding and addressing disparities in heart health in the U.S. as well as in the global context. And I am particularly interested in sub-Saharan Africa and understanding how we might reduce the growing burden of cardiovascular disease in sub-Saharan Africa. And in terms of addressing these disparities, my focus is on implementation science and community-based interventions uh, that meet people where they are, be it in faith-based settings, in community health centers, and other settings outside the traditional clinic setting. Thank you, Yvonne and Cheryl. And that makes it even more exciting, decades of research experience, and you're doing incredibly important work. And you both have very specific lens through which you think about cardiovascular health. So one of the questions I have is, generally speaking, what do you think is something that people don't understand about their cardiovascular health? I'd say that I wish more people understood that um, although heart disease is the leading cause of death in both men and women in the, in the U.S., it is preventable. Heart disease is preventable, and I, I wish more people appreciated um, that. And there are seven ways that we can um, promote heart health, and I just want to touch on them quickly. Uh, so the American Heart Association 
has come up uh, with this concept of life simple seven. And that's a good way to remember things you can do. So seven days of the week, life simple seven. One of them is managing blood pressure. Uh, so we know that high blood pressure is a major risk factor for heart disease. The second one is controlling cholesterol, right? So high cholesterol also clogs uh, the arteries and may lead to um, heart disease and stroke. The third is reducing your blood sugar. Um, diabetes is also a risk factor for heart disease. The fourth is physical inactivity, right? Um, so it's important to be physically active and um, for the heart to work better as a pump. Uh, the fifth is eat a healthy diet. And what does this entail? So eating a diet uh, that is um, heart healthy, and this means um, reducing your intake of um, saturated fat, um, increasing your intake of um, vegetables, of fruits, uh, the good fats, right? So these are all things we can do to improve heart health. And if you're um, overweight, uh, losing some weight because the more of you there is, the, the harder your heart has to work uh, to keep you healthy. And the last thing is quitting smoking if you do smoke uh, because we know that smoking is a, is a risk factor for heart disease. Thank you, Yvonne. And I love that idea of the life simple seven. So things I can do every day. Um, Cheryl, from your perspective, is there anything else that people should consider? Yes, well, I, I certainly want to second the life simple seven because it really simplifies um, the priorities for promoting heart health. Um, another thing that I really wish more people realize that almost half of Americans have high blood pressure and many don't know that. Often high blood pressure doesn't have any symptoms. And so even if someone's blood pressure is quite elevated, they may not know without measuring their blood pressure. And so that's why it's so important to have your blood pressure checked on a regular basis and to know your numbers to understand what your level of blood pressure is so that if it's high, you can get it treated or you can take the steps to manage your blood pressure. But importantly, if it's not elevated to reinforce the behaviors that can keep it low and prevent high blood pressure. And many people develop high blood pressure at a relatively young, you know, as young adults. And so it's really important that we check blood pressure regularly, know what your blood pressure is, and think about prevention as Yvonne highlighted, because even among children, that's, that's when we need to start considering healthy practices to prevent progression to high blood pressure, which prevents progression to heart disease. That's excellent. And I love it that we're keeping it simple and really practical things that everyone can and should be doing to protect their heart health. And you both mentioned that things that we can do as individuals. Are there any things that we should be doing as a society to promote cardiovascular health? That's a great question, uh, Tamar. And I think we alluded to this earlier in the sense that we know that the burden of heart disease is high in the U.S. Uh, we know that the burden of hypertension is also high. We also know that racial and ethnic minority groups are more likely to have these heart disease risk factors such as hypertension, but 
increasingly we are acknowledging that these racial disparities are not necessarily because of skin color, but because of underlying social determinants of health. Uh, we need to ensure that the places where people live, learn, play, work, actually support cardiovascular health. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that as a society, there are structures that don't allow people to, for instance, be physically active or to eat a heart-healthy diet, right? So the reasons or for these disparities are structural in nature, and we need to do a better job of providing enabling services and resources that allow people to be healthier. That's right, Yvonne. There, there really are dramatic differences, often by neighborhood or zip code, in terms of access to green space, access to healthy foods, and access to care is really a potential barrier to hypertension management and really disease management overall and prevention. And so we need to look at the structures of care and care resources that are available to individuals and look at how we are funding, you know, how are we providing financial support for these various resources and is it equitable? And even um, as we think about prevention and children, we need to look at the food that we're serving in schools. And is that, a, are we providing a healthy diet and are we providing adequate food, breakfast and lunch to children who would benefit from that? I think what I'm hearing from both of you is that it takes everyone at all levels of society to make sure we have good and improve heart health. And one of the things you touched on briefly is funding. And both of you have been blessed with funding to continue your research. And you're working on improving cardiovascular health outcomes. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about your new research that was recently funded by the American Heart Association and the National Institute on Minority Health and Health Disparities. Can you tell me more about your new studies and why studies like these are needed? Thank you, Tamar. The first project is called Linked BP. So linked BP stands for home blood pressure telemonitoring linked with community health workers to improve blood pressure. So our goal uh, with this program is to understand how we might prevent hypertension. The American Heart Association has funded five projects that are focused on the prevention of hypertension in underserved uh, populations. And we know that these populations are more likely to have a higher burden of heart disease risk factors. So our project is part of the Health Equity Research Network on the Prevention of Hypertension. And so for Linked BP, what we are hoping to do is to help people who receive care at community health centers. So we know that these community health centers are more likely to provide care to people who don't have health insurance, to people who may be living in poverty and people who may be uh, from racial and ethnic minority backgrounds. So this program will provide additional support to help people to improve their blood pressure. And so this program also entails three main components I wanna highlight. One is working with a community health worker. 
So we know that community health workers um, are critical in terms of meeting people where they are and connecting people with community-based resources. The second component is a mobile health app uh, that we are using to help patients uh, or participants self-monitor the blood pressure at home. So all the participants will receive a free home blood pressure monitoring device. And so they'll be able to sync their uh, mobile device with a blood pressure machine so that the team can have access to the blood pressure readings in real time. And we're going to use this information to provide feedback and provide education on what they can do to improve their blood pressure, be it may, making changes in their diet, um, increasing their physical activity levels. So the community health worker will play a critical role in improving self-management. And so we are gonna be comparing this program to um, what we call enhanced usual care, which is a group where we'll simply provide a home blood pressure machine. And we're hoping to demonstrate that our program, the Link BP program, is better than simply providing uh, a patient with a home blood pressure machine. So that's a little bit about the Link BP uh, program. And uh, I'll hand over to my colleague, Cheryl. I'll give an overview of the Linked Hearts Program, and that stands for a cardiometabolic health program linked with community health workers and mobile health telemonitoring to reduce health disparities. So the program is quite similar to the Linked BP program, but different in some key ways. The Linked Hearts program is focused on controlling multiple chronic conditions and reducing cardiovascular health disparities in racial and ethnic minority groups, similar um, to linked BP. So for linked hearts, we're working with individuals or adults who have uncontrolled hypertension and they have to have either diabetes or chronic kidney disease. So again, these are individuals with multiple chronic conditions who have particular needs. And so we'll be working again with community health centers to identify these individuals. And our intervention is similar in that uh, we will again be working with the Sphygmo app to promote a telemonitoring component. Also important is the home blood pressure monitoring by the patients in the study. And we'll be including a team-based approach that includes community health workers, but also pharmacists. And in, in this group, pharmacists can be particularly helpful in working with healthcare providers in making decisions about intensifying medication treatment, and also in working directly with patients to strategize about medication adherence strategies that might work for them. And our goal in the Linked Hearts program is to improve blood pressure control at six and 12 months. Those are our, um, our key data points. Um, but we're also looking at some important patient reported outcomes like patient activation and quality of life. So looking at how do we help individuals engage at the highest level in, in their own care and in their self-management. 
And that study is supported through the National Institute on Minority Health and Health Disparities. Fantastic. I, for one, am very, very anxious to hear um, all the findings, which I'm sure will help literally millions of individuals. But how do you think this might also inform care or policy in the future? As Yvonne mentioned in her introduction, implementation science is really critical here. And so we're, while we're focused on looking at blood pressure levels or blood pressure control at key outcome points, what we really need to learn also is how do we engage patients, individual patients at the highest level? What are the barriers to measuring your own blood pressure at home? And, and what are the barriers at the provider level? Like what's the best way for them to receive all of those blood pressure measurements in a way that they can meaningfully, that is meaningful to them and that they can act on in a timely way to promote rapid progression to hypertension control. So we're, we're looking at the outcomes, we're looking at the effectiveness of the intervention overall, but also trying to learn a lot about what works well for individual patients in terms of goal setting and achieving those goals and what works for providers in terms of partnering with patients and, and promoting this link to care that's occurring in the home by the patient. That is wonderful. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to it as I'm sure that many persons are. And much of this work is to come. My question for both of you is, what is something that we can start doing today to help us improve our heart health? Thank you, Tamar. Um, so I would say that we know that during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, physical activity levels dropped drastically because people were encouraged to social distance, encouraged to avoid um, gathering in, in groups. And so more and more people have been sedentary in the past couple of years. So uh, the one tip I'd leave people with is to try to live actively. So small steps go a long way. So even if you're unable to meet the physical activity recommendations in terms of getting 75 minutes of vigorous uh, physical um, activity or 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity, every single step counts. And so some physical activity is better than none. So it's not too late to undo some of what has happened in the past two years and and choose to live actively again. That's right. Move more is a really good guide and, and it's never too late. I think um, that's a, a really good point to leave everyone with and that small changes do make a difference. A small reduction of blood pressure, for example, from 150 to 145 in systolic blood pressure can actually um, lead to lower risk of future cardiovascular um, heart disease or heart attacks. So every, every step counts and we should celebrate those, those successes as we work toward our goals. I'd also like to emphasize the importance of partnering with your healthcare provider. It's really important to communicate with your healthcare provider 
about what's working for you, what's not working as you work together to set goals, or if you started medications, for example, and you're having side effects of medications, please communicate with your health provider and revise your goals as you need. Or if the medications are causing problems, let them know so that they can talk with you and you can discuss other options that may be available. Um, so be engaged at a high level and partner with your healthcare provider um, to, to make sure that your healthcare is meeting your needs. So you've both shared with us some important things that we can do individually to promote heart health. Are there any things that we should look for, like warning signs to know when to seek help? Yes. So I'll say that um, when it comes to your heart health, it's important not to ignore your symptoms. If something does not feel right, please seek healthcare quickly. One of the things we want you to walk away with is knowing the signs and symptoms of a heart attack or stroke. So we know that in the past two years, that people have delayed um, seeking healthcare for fear of contracting COVID. And when it comes to heart disease, time is important and it's important to seek healthcare um, in a timely manner to prevent complications. So when it comes to stroke, um, Everyone should remember FAST. So F stands for face. If you notice that someone, or you suspect that someone may be having a stroke, ask them to smile. Does one side of your face droop? A stands for arms. So ask them to raise both arms. Does one arm drift downward? So that may be an indication of stroke. S stands for speech. Ask the person to repeat a simple phrase. Is their speech slurred or strange? And the last one, T, is time. So time is of the essence. If you see any of these signs, call 911 right away. Do not delay. And there also are some common symptoms of a heart attack. And it's important to recognize that while some heart attacks are sudden, some may start slowly with slow onset of symptoms. And so importantly, if something feels wrong or feels unusual, listen to your body, pay attention. So um, some of the most common symptoms are chest pressure, tightness, or a sense of heaviness, extreme fatigue, fainting or lightheadedness, nausea, pain in the shoulders, neck, jaw, or arms, shortness of breath with or without chest pain, and sweating that for women might feel similar to hormonal hot flashes or night sweats. And importantly, these symptoms can last for more than a few minutes. They might go away and they might come back. And so um, it's really important if experiencing these symptoms to follow up, to seek care, go to an emergency department or call 911. And I just wanna emphasize that women account for nearly half of all heart attack deaths in the United States. So women do not dismiss these symptoms because you could be having a heart attack also. 
Wow, thank you for sharing that timely and important advice. And I'm hoping our listeners can hear that same message of even a small change can have a great impact. So thank you to both of you for sharing your great work and for joining us today. This has been a great conversation and maybe we can have you in again to talk about your work with Linked BP and Linked Hearts and to help us keep our cardiovascular health a priority. Thank you so much, Tamar. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having us. It was my pleasure. And thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of On The Pulse. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone you know and subscribe through Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. You can also find us on the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com slash nurse. Be sure to also check out our On The Pulse blog and Facebook Live series. You can learn more about the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing at nursing.jhu.edu. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of On the Pulse. Healthcare models across the United States are rapidly shifting from models of volume to models of value and clinical nurse specialists are well-positioned to make these frontline evolutionary advances. At the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, we offer multiple online tracks to specialize your clinical nurse specialist degree, including adult critical care, pediatric critical care, and adult gerontological health. The clinical nurse specialist tracks at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing are designed for RNs with a BSN or entry-level MSN degree. Clinical nurse specialist champions safe, cost-effective, high-quality, and evidence-based healthcare. Visit nursing.jhu.edu/onthepulse to see how you can become a CNS today.